0: Hi, this is Michelle Wainwright, and welcome to Creative Juicy, a podcast about the creative process, the journey to finding your voice, and tools to help creatives, aka people just like you, find inspiration, confidence, and some business savvy along the way. My career in brand and content strategy led me to collaborating with incredible creators, from photographers to directors, chefs, designers, stylists, illustrators, developers, founders, and so much more. I'm here to shine a light on the experiences of people who dare to be different with the hopes of inspiring you to do whatever makes you feel unapologetically you. So let's get into it. This is Creative Juicy.
1: I'm great. Uh, it's beautiful today, except i um spring is officially sprung and so my allergies are on fire but um other than that it's been good how long have you been out there now almost two years which is insane yeah so it's been a minute do you like it i love it i love the west coast i'm such a west coaster yeah just like really west coast at heart so you know it took a couple years for me to figure that one out so how many years were you in new york I was in New York for like a little over three. It was like three and a half. Okay. Uh, And you know know you're a West Coaster when the three and a half years feels like forever and the two years I've been in Seattle feels like nothing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: Well, Natalie, thank you for joining me on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: First, can you start off by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you do?
1: Yes, uh, I am a designer and a musician based in Seattle, Washington. Um, And uh, yeah, I always loved everything creative as a kid and grew up knowing I wanted to do something in music and something in design and art. And now I do both of them, and it's a total blast. And um, my full time job is as a designer, and I work at a company called Chow Now, which is um, a food like pickup, kind of like DoorDash. Um, company. And I am a product slash experience designer there um, full time. And then I uh, am a musician on the side. So yeah,
0: I want to get into all the music stuff. But I think first, maybe some of my questions will focus on design. I love it. But before that, just generally, what was your first job?
1: Yeah, my very first job. Uh, My very, very first job was I um, my aunt who is uh, a fashion icon legitimately, um, who is 12 years older than my dad. She owns a store in downtown Seattle where she sources really cool, wacky, eccentric clothes. And uh, I was a senior in high school when she opened it up. And so then I worked there and I steamed clothes as my very first job. And it was a blessed first job because my aunt is awesome. And uh, it was great, and I got to work in downtown Seattle, and it was really fun. Um, But my very first design job um, was with Adobe, and I was a creative resident, which is like a bundle of a lot of stuff, but um, that was a really cool first job. But my very, very first job was, you know, retail is important to have experience in.
0: Yeah, my first job too, except I didn't have the pleasure of working with my aunt. (laughs) Um... 100%. That's so cool. Okay, I was going to ask you about Adobe Creative Residency, not realizing that was your first job out the gate. Yes. Can you describe a little bit about what that application process is like? And then also, how did that residency impact you as a designer?
1: Yeah, um, so it was crazy. Um, When I was in college, so I went to the University of Washington, and I studied interaction design, and I got a minor in philosophy and when i was in college my program had like a particular emphasis on like design studios being very cool like when i was in college ideo and frog were like the coolest places to work so said like the faculty kind of Mm -hmm. um i don't know why exactly that was but it was like kind of pre the like huge everyone works at startups thing or it was like right in the middle of that And so when I was in school, I was like, I really want to work at a consultancy or a design studio. And I applied to a bunch of them and like design studios, you know, they hire like a person a year and I was just having a hard time finding a job. And it was like the end of my senior year of college and the residency was in its third year or it was in its second year and the applications were for the third year. And I just saw it. I like saw an ad for it and applied online, which seems like a crazy story considering how impossible it is to like apply for a job and get it from an online application. Um, But I did that and it was the first year that they had allowed like graphic design or uh, like interaction designers, especially like UX stuff to be a part of the residency program. And I think because it was new, they were just like looking for somebody who like knew enough about UX, but the program is early stage career. And so you're not supposed to have worked for 10 years. You're supposed to have worked for like, I think it's somewhere between like zero and five years to be eligible for the program. Um, So I applied online and then I got a call back and then I went to San Francisco a couple times and did a bunch of interviews. And while I was like literally in my thesis class for my senior year of college, and it was absolutely nuts. And then I got that and I it was like I had to start when I was graduating college and it was absolutely Mm. wacky and we did like we were flown out to New York and we did all this press and it was like I felt really really special and famous for a little bit which was really exciting for me um but it was an amazing program yeah it was it was really cool and it completely changed you know, what I thought I was going to do because the residency with Adobe, I know it's a little bit different now, but the way it used to be was they would sponsor people for a year. And then for that entire year, you're like salaried to work on anything you want. And so they just say like, have fun for a year. Yeah. And so in that, it was amazing because you have all this freedom to explore and like discover, but at the same time, you know, when you're an early designer, it's very scary not to like have a team or like have mentorship or like have a lot of people who you can like bounce stuff off of. And luckily I I ended up having some great mentors like externally uh, within Adobe and externally outside of Adobe that were really great. But I would say I learned how to be very self-sufficient first and then going into other jobs, I like kind of in a backwards motion, learned what it was like to work with a team. And so that was really interesting and not what I thought I was going to get out of my first design job. Um, But but that was crazy. And it, it was also weird because I felt like I had never paid my dues because as a designer, you're like, you know, you have to work at places that are tough and like where you learn a lot and maybe you're doing something you aren't like, this is the core reason why I'm designing, but you like are learning about business. But I felt like it was weird to have the door so open immediately where they were like, do anything you can dream of. <laughs> and I was like, man, aren't I supposed to like be paying my dues a little bit more? Um, but it was great.
0: That's incredible. I didn't realize it was structured that way. So how many people did they accept?
1: Yeah, so there, my year there were six and there were four from the United States and two from Europe. And then I think the year after that it was like eight and then nine. And then now they're doing a program I'm pretty sure that is uh, like monthly, or like they give out like 500 of them, but they only give out like, you know, it's like five grand to a person on a project for a month rather than like for an entire year for one person. Um, Yeah, so that was really crazy. And it was like, you know, the program was freshly starting. So they were kind of figuring out what they were doing with us. And we were like, why are we here? So it was really fun.
0: It must've been funny straight out of college, like you said, because I mean, in college, you kind of are dreaming about whatever it is you want to do. And then maybe you go into a job and then you learn a little bit more about what you want to do or what you don't want to do. So then like this program would provide that opportunity, but going straight into it, how did you decide what to work on and what did you work on?
1: Yeah. So the other thing about the program was that it was so really anything you want to do, not like there were parameters, there was no like topic, Um, And so Mm -hmm. I did like five sprints, essentially, of I think it was like 10 or so weeks where I worked on something from like having a question mind, especially like coming from a philosophy background. I was like, oh, I'm going to do a lot of like start from a a real place of discovery and then end up with some type of artifact, which was usually like a prototype of some kind. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of the cooler stuff I did, I worked with this group called Newzella that uh, kind of like super TLDR is they help kids learn how to read like articles and like news content, but in a way that caters to their age demographic and their like reading levels. Mm. And because I got to like, nobody really had to pay me for the work other than Adobe. I got to approach Newzella and I was like, hey, what I, I think what you do is really cool what if we worked on sort of like a future vision project? And so we got to just like work together on something that it didn't have to be like, hey, we have to meet this like Q4 deadline right now. It was way more like, hey, you're just here like exploring and conducting research. And I got to like talk to teachers and talk to people who had worked uh, with Zello before. And that was really cool. I also made a website that um, located all of the bathrooms that were free and for public usage in New York City, so that there was, like, a resource for everyone to know where bathrooms are in New York, because it's, like, such a massive, massive (laughs) civic issue. Shit show. Literally, Uh, yes, (laughs) truly, so I got to just do a bunch of, like, small style sprint projects on that, um, and then, I spoke at a couple conferences like Adobe Max and 99U. I did a a really, really fun workshop. And I spoke at a conference at Harvard or um, at Brown. And I went to a bunch of conferences at Harvard. And I basically just got to discover the design world and work on my own stuff in one big year.
0: How cool. It was crazy. Okay, so your experience is in product design, interaction design, experience design. For those of us who don't know the difference, can you kind of describe what each of those are?
1: Yeah, I I like to think of product design, interaction design, experience design as like they all are part of the same family and sometimes maybe their definitions are slightly different, but the family is using design as a methodology for problem solving and like experience design is a little bit more about like understanding the journey and and trying to problem solve like how something is serviced or like the entire journey of something. Whereas product design is more about like designing a finished artifact that helps service an experience. But I think at the core of that is that, you know, as a designer, you are a problem solver using like strategy and research and visuals to help like guide a uh, solution. Thank you. That clears it up. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um,
0: so then, okay, after Adobe, was your next job Frog? Yes, then I worked
1: at Frog. Very, very different.
0: Yeah, I mean, how cool for you to be in school and have your professors tell you about Frog and then end up there? It
1: was bonkers, it was insane, yeah, um, and they, were one of them actually had worked at Frog for a long time and he was a guest professor and taught a class exclusively about UX research. And that was what inspired me to like go work for a place like Frog because I just loved like the research classes so much. I had so much fun doing them. And so it was awesome at Frog because once I got there, they were like, oh, your research, like, you know a lot about UX research, like you're doing it right. And I was like, well, that's because somebody from here taught me how. So it was really full circle. Can you uh, explain
0: Frog to anyone? Because they may just think we're speaking about.
1: Yes, yes. Frog is a design consultancy where they take on lots of different types of clients. And those clients come with a problem in mind or something that they want to fix or something that they want to create. And Frog does a lot of that vision work to help understand and create a solution that's like, here's the way that we're imagining you could go about doing something. And um, it's a really innovative, really bright place to work. Lots of incredible designers and, and PMs and just teammates in general.
0: Yeah. So I guess it was your first office job coming out of Adobe. Did you find the need to create for yourself while you were in this more, not corporate, but more nine to five?
1: Yeah, I I think that the thing for me is that um, I want to love the work I do every day, but I also don't need work to be everything. And because of that, usually like, say I was a librarian, maybe I would do graphic design as like a hobby, but as an interaction designer, doing design work as like my hobby or like the thing I do on the side isn't as appealing to me because I'm like, I spend my work time doing that. I like want to find something else in the same way that like, I, I wonder if like somebody who's a cook wants to be like cooking at their house when they get home after the restaurant job, you know? And, and so when I was at Frog, design took up so much of my time, I honestly looked for other creative outlets beyond just design. Mm. So what were those? Well, music was yeah. the big one. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I got really lucky because and I can go into my whole l- lengthy music story and how I got involved in that. But the su- super like short story is that um, my roommate, who was my best friend in New York and is my best friend in um, she brought home an electric guitar when we were living in New York and she was like, this is fun. I'm having fun learning this. I'm having a good time. And I just watched her and I was like, dang, that does look like fun. And I learned how to play the guitar in like a month badly, really, really terribly. And then, you know, in New York, I feel like the really awesome thing about the city is you can just kind of find people who are looking for like creative partnership And so I just stumbled upon a friend of a friend through her that was looking to start a band and I joined their band and we were making really, really just kind of like grungy, funky, you know, shoegaze guitar music. And it was really fun. And I was terrible, absolutely awful. Um, But it was a total blast. And I, you know, was totally accepted for not being very good at guitar yet. And, that's how I kind of got started in in music.
0: That's awesome. You also weren't terrible. I remember some of your shows. (laughs)
1: That's nice of you to say that. That's nice because looking back, it feels like I was probably so, so bad. Um, But that was in 2019. So it's guitar and music is still like relatively new for me. um, Considering when I was a kid, I wanted to be an A&R. And so I know a lot about like the behind the scenes of like booking artists and what it like trend forecasting with artists and like understanding mm. genres and when I was a kid I, I really wanted to be on the backside of music and so as an as a musician now I feel like it's really come full circle and I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing now
0: I'm sorry for those well for me whats AR?
1: AR A&R is I think it's oh man I can't remember what it stands for it's like artists and artists and representatives I can't remember exactly oh, like what it an agent for. Yeah, it's basically an A&R is a person who at a record label usually helps like uh, identify new talent. And so they say, this person's blowing up, let's talk to them. And they kind of like convince a label to sign someone. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure there's probably like similar types of roles at a place like Spotify. And when you think about like a Spotify playlist, an A&R who works at Spotify is like, hey, this person, I think they're going to blow up you know, like, let's put them on playlists. And that like trend forecasting side of music, I like loved as a kid. Okay, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: What was it like going from or what is it like being a solo artist, especially when you kind of started off in this more band setting?
1: Yeah, it's been crazy. I mean, the reason that I started my solo project, which is called Sea Lemon is really because I was just in the pandemic at home with my computer being like I don't have people to like play with in the same way because in my old band, my like lead singer, I played rhythm guitar, she would write all the material, which was great and she would basically bring it to us and mm-hmm. we would play her material. And so when I was at home by myself in Seattle and I wasn't in the band anymore, I just started writing things on my own just by way of like having instruments in front of me um and honestly I love writing my own stuff I think that collaborating with other musicians is like the most fun thing to do in like a live setting but sometimes when you have a vision for something if you like have a sound in mind it happens so much faster and more organically if like just you work on it Mm -hmm. and so I find myself like reaching the ends of songs like writing an entire song so much faster than I did when like we would all work together because everyone's like okay like what's your part like okay how can we like modify this is this the right part and when you just work on something yourself you're like full steam ahead and you finish it and then you're like oh my god like you can do so much stuff so much quicker
0: I mean just thinking about you releasing your first single November of 2021 yeah like you kind of got everything up and running in my eyes very quickly Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so where does sea lemon come from?
1: Yeah, so sea lemon is um, a nudibranch or like a sea slug that is native to the Pacific Northwest, which Mm. is like where I grew up. But it's especially kind of sentimental to me because my mother uh, is a beach naturalist, which basically means she goes out on the beach and she teaches little kids via the aquarium what they're seeing.
0: So, mm-hmm. when I was a
1: kid, I like loved marine biology, and I thought it was so cool that my mom did that, and her favorite beach animal is a sea lemon, so you know it's like kind of a tribute to my mother, which is cheesy, but it's true Can she sing? can she be no with not tall, definitely with you? I wish I mean, I don't think she would ever do that. My dad actually plays the guitar, but um no i uh I just i you know, I was like, I want my name to be something that like means something to me and isn't just some dumb thing, you know,
0: yeah. That's cool. That's awesome to know. And then you describe yourself as a dream pop musician. And I think that was the first time I heard the term dream pop. Okay. So what is that?
1: Yeah. Um, Dream pop is sort of like a classification of rock and pop music that um, really took shape in like the 90s. Um, And I don't know if you are familiar with like shoegaze music, but like that genre that is really like bright guitar sounds artists like the cure and my bloody valentine mm-hmm. um and it basically they kind of got that started and if you even think of like Sixpence pence on the richer like that sound of the 90s is very like that began dream pop and now when you think about dream pop a lot of that is happening like in bedroom pop like people that you know are making music out of their bedrooms or like you know, low budget studios. Like these aren't people who are like all about perfect production in a studio. It's about kind of like a feeling. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dream Pop is accessible to make as an artist because, you know, you can just have a guitar and like a keyboard and a bass and you don't have to like, you know, work with a mega producer, you know, and make really, really like high fidelity pop music. Mm hmm.
0: So how does it work? I mean, you decide you want to take on this project or release a single or an album. You tell me what are the things you need to actually do that? Like what are all of the components?
1: Yeah. Um, so first, um, I can sort of walk through what that process has been like for me. I started writing music where I was like, wow, I would be interested in turning this into something that like is public facing. Mm -hmm. Um, like, early, about this time last year, April, 2021. And then I was, um, when I write a song, like if you think about a demo, when I make a demo, I make a full, full full-fledged demo. So I'm not just like on an acoustic guitar doing a voice recording, even though like sometimes I do do that. When I write a, a song, usually I'm recording, like I have a drum track, I'm recording the bass on top of that. I record guitar on top of that. I do vocals on that, I layer harmonies, I add synth. And so I create a really like full demo. And so um, when I had some of my demos done, uh, I reached out to and got in contact with this producer who lives in um, LA. And he had done a bunch of work for artists that I'm like totally obsessed with, in love with. Um, This artist, No Vacation is like, truly one of my favorite bands in the world. And he has done a bunch of stuff with them. And so we got in contact and, uh, he was like, did you just
0: cold email him?
1: No. So it was weird. I think he like runs some sort of bot that follows people that follow the artists he's worked with. And so one time I'm like on my Instagram, I see that like this person has followed me and I'm like, God, that is so familiar to me. His name is so familiar to me. And I'm like, oh, it's because he like worked with Wallows, who's like this great artist and no vacation. And I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And I was like, well, I'm just going to shoot my shot here and just say hi. And um, I sent him my demos and he liked it and we set up sessions. And so then we did all of our work remotely. And so we would do it over FaceTime and we use like a plugin that allows it so that like he can hear exactly what I'm recording and I can hear his computer program And so all of my EP that's coming out um, next month is all done remotely. Um, So I recorded all the parts and then he like does production, mixing, mastering um, on everything. So the first stage, right, is write the song. The second stage is get the song done, like fleshed out via production, right? Because a demo is always going to sound kind of clunky or like, it just, it sounds like a kid's art project, right? You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't sound, like, really there. And a producer who then, you know, does all the mixing and mastering, he, like, finishes everything to sound so much better, so much crisper. You can hear all the levels. And uh, after that, you're kind of like, okay, I have this, like, body of work. Now, how do I want to put it out there in the world? And... Some of that is I I work with somebody who is like in PR. And so she does a lot of the like press relationship stuff for me. And so she basically, you know, has contacts at really cool outlets like this place under the radar, which was like a dream publication, uh, you know, for me to read when I was a kid. And now I was like featured in it. Um, And so that's one way to get your stuff out there. And then I'm also on a small record label and they're called Spirit Goth. And my record label also does like marketing and they have relationships and they have a distributor and, you know, they know people at Spotify. And so, you know, the record label is all about like also giving me resources to film music videos. Um, And so we are,
0: yeah,
1: we're in contact a lot. And so they're releasing all of my singles and my EP. Um, And so they've been amazing and they are basically exclusively dream pop from a Mm -hmm. label perspective. So I really trust their curation because the founder is my favorite artist. And so I really trusted him because I was like, I love his music. I would obviously want to be on his label. So, so you reached out to them. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to them with my first single and I was like, Hey, this is a long shot, but like, I'd be interested in being on this label and they got back to me and they're like, yes, yeah, send more stuff. And I was like, Oh my God. Um, so that's, that, that's amazing. It's been cool. Yeah. It's been crazy. Um, And I love all of the artists on this record label, like, so, so, so much. And I have looked up to him and think he's amazing. So, um, and that artist is called Castlebeat and he is so good. Um, So I have my publicist, I have my record label, and then the sort of next stage is, like, getting a manager and an agent. And a manager will, like, help you make a lot of those, like, decisions, like, you know, just, just. My email is always overflowing with my like music stuff. And so it's like business, you know, are you, do you want to move on to a different record label? Do you want to, you know, keep doing X, Y, Z, they help you like decision-make. And then an agent helps you like tour book. And so having that like arsenal, like that team is really, really helpful. And so I'm slowly checking the boxes and, and setting up a really awesome team and, uh, for my EP that's dropping in a month. So yeah, it's been crazy. That's so cool. Also, Thank I you. didn't,
0: I didn't understand the the difference in the music world between a manager and an agent. Um, yeah. So I guess that makes sense. It's kind of like a booking agent, if you will. And exactly. Like,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. That an agent is really, and you usually have like, you know, if you're a bigger artist, like a Dua Lipa, she probably has somebody for the U S and somebody different for the UK and somebody different for Asia. And you have like a billion people who help you book tours all over the world because tour booking is like really complicated just because there's like only so many venues in the world and finding people to play with and compensation. Mm. And so I my, my like 2023 goal is to go on tour. Cool. Yeah.
0: What has it been like in Seattle in COVID? Like, have you been able to play live or- yeah.
1: It's been I mean it's been um for a while like nothing, you know. Mm. And uh we played my band, so there's five of us including myself and they basically just like play all the parts that are written on my EP. Um we played our first show at the beginning of March and then we just played two other shows recently. So we've had three shows. We actually have a show next Thursday and then we're going to play um Uh, An incredible, like unbelievable festival that I grew up going to in Seattle called Capitol Hill Block Party, and I'm really excited about that. Um, So yeah, we've got a bunch of shows on the docket.
0: I think that's kind of the theme of this conversation. It's like artists you loved, places you wanted to, it's crazy, and then making it
1: happen. It's so full circle. It's I'm like pinching myself always with the music stuff because it it feels like if you kind of just are like hopeful, but not like needing it to happen, things happen. But it, the second that you like need something to happen, it doesn't happen.
0: hmm Yeah. So how would you say your worlds of design and music interact? Yeah. And do they even?
1: Definitely. I mean, I think that Um, And this is something that my boyfriend, who is also a designer and a musician who plays in my band, we talk about all the time. And, you know, we both went to design school. That's how we met together. And there's so much crossover from like a principle and values perspective that I learned in design that I take into music. And so even though like, you know, design is my full-time job, music is my hobby, they like occupy maybe different places in like my time and like energy, I take a lot of the things that I've learned from design, especially like, you know, uh, unity and variety, which is like a core design principle being like, have a lot of things that are cohesive and like have something that stands out. And when you write a track, you want to have like a cohesiveness, but like a bright spot. And so like principles of design, I always find are like trickling in. And like, things like whittle, whittle back. Like, do you need everything? How can you be more minimalist in your designs? How can you be more minimalist in your demos? Um, and I'm like constantly reminding myself of the things I learned in design school when I make a song.
0: Mm-hmm. And then I imagine, I mean, I can't imagine what that would be like for you when you do go on tour one day and then thinking about like the physical interaction of what that could look like. Um, yes.
1: I know. What a dream. I mean, my, like, if I ever get to a point in my life where I go on tour and it's not just like dive bars, which still would be amazing. But if it was like real venues, I mean, like I had so much fun in my design classes using like an Arduino or like Raspberry Pi and creating interactions that are like light sensitive, sound sensitive. And my dream is to do some of that like design technology work for my own like stage presence, Mm -hmm. because that that stuff is so fun. So yeah, I mean, I think that people who once you get into this stuff, it's like hard not to combine it all and and have a total blast.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate this conversation in general, but especially because I feel like a lot of people think of designers and they think more about the technical skills like, oh, you can use these things on your computer and make something beautiful yeah but I don't think they think so much about the like you're so intellectual and conceptual and like the ethics behind everything like this shines a light on that and how thoughtful good
1: designers are so I just appreciate thank you for saying that I I have to give to like a huge uh, like shout out to my design curriculum when I was in college at The UW, which was funny because when we were in school, they refused to teach us Illustrator or like InDesign, which was like pre-sketch pre-Figma for designers. Mm -hmm. And we were all so mad because we were like, we don't know how to make anything. How are we supposed to learn? And they were like, You'll figure it out, but you have to learn the values first. Like you have to learn the principles. Otherwise, you're gonna flail once you get out of this and the program changes. And we were all so mad. And now, in in response to that, like years later. I'm like, wow, thank God that they didn't spend an entire class teaching us Photoshop. Like, I wouldn't have taken that anywhere now, you know? So as the, I was going to ask you, for any young designers who kind
0: of want to do what you're doing on the design side of things, not so much music, uh,
1: what, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I think the advice that I would give young designers is try to learn the principles first and get a sense for the process of design, like starting at discovery and discoveries about research and thinking about strategy and solutioning and then prototyping and, you know, making things on on paper, making things on a computer, like identifying what parts of the process do you enjoy the most? And then like really diving in deep there, because I think that what happens today is design is like for better or for worse, a pretty saturated market. So there's just like a lot of designers who are like, listen, I can do everything. And I think it's hard right now because as a designer, you want to be good at everything, but sometimes like the strongest thing, you know, if we're interviewing people, I always think is when somebody is like a master of a craft. And so I think for young designers, if they can be like, I'm so passionate about research or about strategy or uh, like stakeholder management, you know, like Mm -hmm. silly things, even, I think that that, like there's a lot of power and mastery. And so, or, or not even necessarily total mastery, but just like passion. And so finding parts that you really love, I think also helps, When you're having a busy work day and you're like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I'm so stressed. I've been a designer for 10 years. You can return to the things where you're like, but I still really love this part and I do get to do it. And I think those things have really helped me like maintain being a designer. That's amazing advice. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Your LinkedIn bio says that you focus on the intersection of ethics, technology, and interaction design. And we've obviously talked about this in this conversation, but can you give an example or speak about a project to just further contextualize exactly what
1: that means? Yeah, 100%. I think that, you know, there's like a huge emphasis in the design community about like doing work and social good. And I think sometimes that can feel quite performative, but finding projects that you feel passionate about are opportunities to create like ethical design work because you can like really put quality and time into it. And um, when um, the George Floyd protest happened, a really good friend of mine um, reached out to me who I'd gone to design school with. And he was like, hey, I want to create a website or a place to find bail funds, to find black owned businesses, organizations, um to donate to because people are looking for places to give their money and they like don't know where to give it right now and places like you know the ACLU were like blowing up at that time but it was harder to find like where are the the bail funds for like King County which is where you know in Seattle and uh and I was like yeah this is awesome and he just sent me a Figma prototype and he was like I started this and I took off a couple days of work and we just worked on it for a a week that was like prototyping and we were just like pushing designs out. And because I had had all this experience as like a designer at frog and through Adobe and through school, it was like easy for me to work on this problem because I knew how to take it apart and like create something. And so we started that. And then because we had worked in, like I had been, I was working at a place called Flatiron. Then he I think was working at a place called Yield Street we'd worked with developers. Like we knew how to sort of like lightly PM and work with devs and ticket projects. And so we ended up kind of creating a small team that was responsible for pushing the site. And I think we started the project, you know, what was that? Like June of 2020. Mm -hmm. And we finished it like late July of 2020. So it was like a month and it was a comprehensive database. And had a full end and was designed out and had, you know, design states. And that was a project where I was like, wow, I finally get to use the like more logistical problem solving tools in design that I have been taught in a manifestation that I am so, so passionate and like feel so strongly about. And, you know, having the tools of like the day to day really helps when you, are like I have this big conceptual thing. How do I break it down?
0: How fulfilling.
1: It was amazing. Cool.
0: Okay, Nat. So I have five final questions. Yes. And thank you, by the way, for explaining that. Of course. Um, I've been asking everyone these. Uh, we may have touched on some of the topics, but I will ask you anyway. So question number one
1: is what drives you to create? Oh, that's such a good question. I think curiosity I am such a curiosity, <laughs> I'm such a curiosity person. I'm such a curious person. <laughs> uh, and I was actually just saying to my boyfriend Abe last night, like, as a kid, uh, my dream was to find the giant squid under the ocean. And it was such a bummer when that happened when I was like in the fourth grade. But I think that when I was a kid, like the thing that really drove me was being so curious about discovering the world and feel like, what makes me feel inspired to be creative is feeling like there's so much out there that has yet to be explored. And that can be from like a sound profile perspective that can be from visuals that could be like in design. You know, I think everyone can be creative in a lot of ways because creativity is about like self exploration and exploration of the world. And yeah, I know that that's kind of a cheesy way to say that, but it is true for me.
0: Yeah, no, not cheesy at all. Question number two, this one is still in the blank.
1: Feeling inspired feels like? Oh, a bolt of lightning. Honestly, when I'm inspired, it is like, it feels like it shakes me because you can go through, you know, spurts of months where I like don't write music or I like don't really want to work on anything. And then I have like a spurt of electricity and I write like five songs at once and then it doesn't happen. And then you kind of wait for that feeling. But um, when it when I am inspired, it's like, so gratifying. Mm.
0: And then kind of laddering off of that, where do you go to get your creative
1: juices flowing? And how do you overcome creative blocks? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, when it comes to music, um, Olivia Rodrigo said it best. Uh, And you know, I was listening to uh, an interview that she gave. And she was like, you have to write on days when you don't feel inspired and you just have to like put pen to paper and try and get all of the crap out so that you can like have the bolt of lightning. And so I practice a lot. Like I write a song almost every day, even if it's garbage. And you know, that's like the way that I have to get it out. And I think the same thing as a designer, like you're never going to strike gold immediately, you know? So you have to be like practicing design and like coming up with lots of iterations to strike gold um so practice Hmm.
0: if you could tell your younger self one thing or one piece
1: of advice what would you say oh I would tell my younger self don't take things so seriously and like prestige and success is nothing in comparison to happiness because if you can be happy and like creatively fulfilled on your own all of the other stuff doesn't matter and I think as a kid I just was so like I want to go to Harvard vibes like I want to be the best in the be- at, you know at everything I want to work at the New York Times I want to like work for Columbia Records and now I'm just in a point where I'm like I if I'm with my friends I'm playing music I'm happy in my design job like I could be in the middle of the woods and no one could know and I would still be happy you know
0: yeah life is good yeah and then finally what are you looking forward to today is there anything coming up that's keeping you feeling motivated and inspired
1: yeah I'm um well I'm really looking forward to my EP coming out which is gonna be um next month in May and that's gonna be a really big moment for me uh and then I'm working on my second EP and I'm having so much fun writing and I just uh am look I seriously as as cheesy as it sounds, I, like, look forward every morning to, like, writing more music, and, uh, yeah. What is an EP? I should know this. Yeah, it's, it's basically, like, a tiny album. It's, like, a body of work that you want it to live together, but, um, I, I forget what an EP stands for, too. I'm, like, seriously not representing the music community very well, (laughs) um, but, you you know, if you think about an album as, like, an entire body of work an EP is just like a smaller so I have five songs on mine okay it's like a chapter maybe it's 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 like a chapter yeah usually an EP is like no longer than like six songs and an album is like seven plus got it got it yeah well this will be released on Wednesday what's
0: next Wednesday April I don't know what um So if anyone in Seattle is listening.
1: (laughs) Yes. You can go to Nat's show on Thursday. Yes. (laughs) I would love that. It's at um, a place called The Crocodile. um, And I'm opening for an artist uh, called Austin Weber. Awesome. Well, Nat,
0: thank you so much for joining me. Oh my gosh. Yes. Thank you so much for having me so far. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Creative Juicy. If you like what you heard, it would mean so much if you can take a minute to rate and review the show. Be sure to hit subscribe to stay updated on new episodes and follow me at Mish, M-I-C-H underscore Wainwright on Instagram for more podcast updates. You can also find show notes and a transcript for today's episode at creativejuicypodcast.com. Hope you have a good one. Bye.